Would you turn in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Ruth in your Bibles this morning? And uh, we are wrapping up a series called Redeeming Joy in the book of Ruth. What we're finding in this precious book of our Bible is really that there is a gospel here that is unchanging. And it's the reason why we've come together this morning. And is that it? we have found joy. We who are people who can more readily identify with Naomi and Ruth being barren and lonely and, uh, and really impoverished. Uh, not only materially, but also spiritually, incapable of creating new life, incapable of having a new chapter apart from God's grace. Well, redeeming joy. And this morning, it doesn't matter whether or not you've come to church with joy today. The Word of God has a message for you, and that is that joy can be yours through Jesus Christ. And all through Scripture, there are stories of joy. The entire Bible is really a story of about great joy, the fullness of joy of the Godhead, who fills up his joy in sharing it with us. But also, not only is the Bible one grand tale of the joy of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also the Bible has small stories within the great story of joy. So we find this in this very short chapter in our Old Testament, in the book of Ruth, four chapters that tell us the story Really, that is a picture of the journey of anybody who may be here or a journey of those who are here that have come to know redeeming joy, what it is to live in the joy of the Lord. The Bible has much to say about joy. The psalmist says in Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice, let them ever sing for joy. Did you catch that? Let them who find refuge in you sing for joy. In First Chronicles 16.27, the chronicler prays unto the Lord, Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are in His place. Psalm 4.7, the psalmist says, You have put more joy in my heart than that they have when their grain and wine abound. Joy really is the theme of the Gospel. It's the theme of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We really need to bring ourselves to a point of clear understanding this morning of what it is of the, of the nature of God's covenant. Here in this passage, we recognize that we have come to the end of a story, but where did the story begin? Israel had possessed the land under the leadership of Joshua, but there was no kings over the land. God would raise up over periods of time deliverers, and he called them judges. Therefore, we have a book called the Judges. Somewhere in the middle of the Judges period of Israel's history, there arose a family underneath Judah, the tribe of Judah, underneath a, a man named Perez who had his grandson named Elimelech. Elimelech, instead of turning his heart before the Lord and repenting and having a tender heart before the Lord, decided to take his two sons and his wife and move outside of the territory of Israel. And therefore, shortcut and try to, to bypass a way to God's blessing. He took them into a, a territory called Moab who worshipped a pagan god specifically named Molech. Molech being just like other false, false gods requires too much from the human heart. And in fact, requires human blood for his own satisfaction. Well, there they would marry, the two sons would marry two women, Orpah and Ruth. Along with Naomi, Elimelech and Naomi would live with these, these in-laws and these sons. But over a period of ten years, after ten years had passed, Sadly, as the story unfolds there in the beginning of chapter 1 in Ruth, all two sons and as well as Elimelech pass away, leaving Naomi and the two daughters-in-law 
in the land of Moab, outside of God's covenant place. Naomi, upon hearing a return of God's favor to the people of Israel, which signals the fact that God's people have returned to the Lord humbly, seeking after His, His forgiveness in confession and repentance, she hears that the grain is abounding back in the town where she had come from with Elimelech named Bethlehem. By the way, this is the beginning of the story of Bethlehem for us. And so she returns and as she walks into town, the women greet her and say, is this the Naomi that had left ten years ago? And she says, no longer call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt with me bitterly. And she says, really, my life represents bitterness and emptiness. The irony is, really, as it's told, that she has come to a place of the fullness of bread, the fullness of grain, and yet she herself is empty, and alongside of her is, is one of her daughters-in-law who pledged and said, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth, in tow, began to take care of her aging mother-in-law. As a faithful woman, as first ascribing unto this, this covenant God, Jehovah, her allegiance, not knowing fully yet what all it would entail to know this, this wonderful and loving God far different than any other gods of the world. And as she began to care for her mother, she found herself in a field and, and uh, reaping some of the barley in the field. And boy, it was coming in over about a month and a half to two months time from, from about mid-April to middle of, the Ju of June months. There was grain and she was overflowing. And one of those days, the manager of the field, the owner of the field, as a matter of fact, named Boaz, decided to set his favor upon her and, and had heard about her care for Naomi, and who would be his relative, and, and decided to invite her over for lunch. And there at lunch, she, he honored her and said, May Yahweh cover you with his wings. May you find favor from this God of Israel. And leaving that day from the lunch table, he sent her with, with really just uh, many handfuls of barley to take home. Naomi, upon hearing this blessing and hearing the name Boaz, was reminded that she has a relative who can actually restore back the estate that her husband had left that had been bought by other people. So she concocted a plan and, and uh, asked Ruth to do something very unusual. Unusual in any culture, even unusual in this culture. And that is on the night in which all of the harvest is brought in and Boaz has been working and slaving over the grain all day long. He would sleep next to the heap of his grain so that marauders and even, even outside forces wouldn't come and steal. And so after he would lay down, Naomi instructed Ruth, lay down at his feet in the middle of the night so as to call upon him to redeem our family. And perhaps it would be that he would set his love upon you and take you underneath the spirit of the Leverite marriage. Ruth did such a thing. In the middle of the night, Boaz awakened and said, Who are you? And Ruth said, I am Ruth and you are a redeemer of my family. Would you spread your wings over me and redeem the family? You are the answer to your own prayer. And so Ruth would be covered until morning. And she would depart again with handfuls of grain back to Naomi and tell Naomi all that had been said. And Naomi said, then let us rest. Let us stay right here for surely Boaz will make things right. And Boaz had told Ruth before departing that there was another redeemer, someone who was closer to in relations to Elimelech that could make claims upon the estate in the right way legally, that he would do everything he could 
to secure not only her possession, but also her hand in marriage. And so we begin in Ruth chapter 4. And I ask that you would read along with me in the Word of God in Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders and of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of this native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Thus says the word of God. Would you pray with me?
O Heavenly Father, as we set our eyes upon this beautiful story that is the telling of how you had set in motion the unchallenged events by the power of your sovereignty to deliver to us one who was rich, who had become poor, that we in him might become rich. And Father, our heart's prayer this morning is that there would be in in the ear and in the heart of everyone who hears this message, message this morning a redeeming joy. Plant seeds of the gospel in young ones as they hear the word of God this morning. And remind those who have walked with you for decades that you are the redeemer of joy. May your name be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We need to bring ourselves to a point of clear understanding of the nature of the Lord's covenant. So often as you and I work in this economy and live in this economy of grace in the New Testament as a New Testament church, we forget the meaningfulness of what it is to be a part of the Lord's covenant in the Old Testament times. You see, when Joshua led a people into the promised land, they committed themselves to the blessings of obedience and the cursings of disobedience and unbelief. Of all of the, and they committed themselves to all of the ramifications of everything material and physical as well as spiritual in the nature of the covenant. This nature had everything to do. It was a whole salvation, if you will. From the cattle and the fowl to the seed and the fruit to the marriages and progeny, the Lord, Yahweh, was Lord over all of it. There wasn't a single aspect of the people's lives that did not fall under the binding blessings of the covenant and its law. So when Elimelech left the land of Israel because of the famine that was both a signal and punishment of Israel's unbelief, he stepped outside of the protections of the loving covenant of the Lord and forfeited, therefore, the blessings of the Lord. It only led his family into death and ultimately shame and bitterness, just as forsaking the Lord always does. As Naomi returned with Ruth in tow to Bethlehem, she discovered a new spirit among the people of God. The people were full of joy. The people in Bethlehem were full of peace, which flowed from naturally from a heart of repentance and resulted in the Lord's return blessings upon the families and on the land. And so Boaz was one of the many men who had returned to the Lord in repentance. But in the heart and mind of each of these renewed followers of the Lord, was also a new sense that they themselves, not just the land, were not their own. They belonged to the Lord. Every bit of their lives belonged to Him. When land fell into the hands of other clans apart from its origination from the appointed territories of the early days, it was a critical thing. And let me rephrase that. When land fell out of your family's name, it was a critical turning point in how your family experienced the blessings of God. For when Joshua had moved into the land, there was a great meeting and all of the territories were divided. And even in the sub-territories, if you want to call it districts and villages, each family and clan was given a possession, a, a certain territory. So if your family would ever to abandon that, like Elimelech did in moving to Moab, so too you were put into a, a part of a jeopardy so as to not be a manager of the blessings of God peculiar and unique blessings that God had appointed for your family now became forfeited. 
you would now become dependent upon others and there would not be a distinguishable position to receive God's particular favor and blessings. So it was vital that you maintain ownership and your family maintains ownership of the land that you have. Elimelech's land fell into such a situation. Unless another family member redeems and buys back his land to reinstate it into his family, his land was about ready to be dispossessed His land was about ready to be forfeited from his blessing of his family entirely. Boaz, being one of Elimelech's relatives, stood in the position to redeem this family. But he was not, as you had read, the closest in eligibility to do such a redemption. So we have a little bit of a twist in the story. Somewhat of a suspense. And both Boaz and Naomi both knew that he was not the closest redeemer. Everything, so to speak, was up in the air. Everything was laid on the table for a closer Redeemer, even the hand of Ruth. It was about more than the land. It was about putting things in order, in submission to the covenant, and entreating the Lord to Lord over all of the family once again. It was a symbol to regain the ownership of the family and uh, of the land in order to manage it. This is saying, Lord, all of this is yours again, and all of us are yours. It was about receiving and managing the original blessing of the Lord and stewarding the land and bringing the family under submission of His Lordship. And so there was a Redeemer that was nearer to Elimelech than Boaz. Both men were not obligated to marry Ruth, although we feel that there is some sort of a connection here that Ruth comes with the land. It was really in the spirit of this. Because the Leverite marriage was only applied to a brother-in-law, it does not appear that this Redeemer nor Boaz were a brother of of Elimelech or brother-in-law to uh, Naomi or Ruth. But it was the spirit of this redemption that we find in both a Redeemer, both the Redeemers, Boaz and this unnamed man. Because there were scenarios that could unfold just like this that were unique. A family moves away. It becomes a little bit different with, uh, you know... uh, another a foreign wife. Because of all these scenarios, God wasn't laying out all of the law and how to redeem back a land or how to, how to gain a bride in the family. There was, there was really no single legal binding on either men to marry Ruth. But as we have seen at the heart of the men in the city of Bethlehem, there has been a return of a tender state of loving God and loving others. We find in Boaz certainly a God-fearing man as we see in in Ruth chapter 2 as he goes out into his fields and he blesses his workers and and then as he prays unto Ruth a a prayer of blessing, may Yahweh cover you with his wings. We, We find a man whose heart is very close to God's. And so too we find the men respond who are just workers in the field also saying, and may Yahweh bless you. You see, the men in Bethlehem had had a revival of heart. And it set the stage for not only Boaz as a virtuous redeemer, but also this unnamed redeemer to also be a virtuous man who was not money hungry and seeking after the estate, but had truly looked upon Naomi and Ruth in their sad estate and uh, state affairs and, and recognized that Ruth needed a husband. And Elimelech's family deserved, in a sense, was worthy of being per- perpetuated. So in this discussion, we find not a, not a moral obligation or a legal obligation for either of the men to take unto themselves a wife, but we find in them a greater law, and the law of the heart. 
in a man whose heart is tender unto the Lord's leading. And so as they look upon Ruth and find her to be very much like them, a woman who is virtuous and noble of heart, and as they have been watching her for some two or three months and heard of her reputation among the women, they began to recognize something had happened in the heart of this young woman. She had truly turned to Jehovah. She had truly pledged her heart under the covenant-keeping Yahweh. We hadn't seen it at first in Moab. We just knew that she had pointed herself in the right direction. But now over a period of time, she was starting to show marks of a God-given hesed as we had discussed. We started seeing marks of trusting God at the end of Ruth chapter 3. Naomi says, Ruth, let's just rest and allow God to do His work through Boaz. And now later on in this passage, we find that God will identify with Ruth by giving her a son. That woman who was once barren now receives some of the covenant blessings of Israel's God. And so we see that the heart of the men in this city had returned to this tender state. We don't know what the reason is why the Redeemer didn't want to marry Ruth. He says it's because he has other land he would need to forfeit. We don't know all of the, the ramifications of this, but we can easily assume that it was, it was out of a noble heart that he understood that it would have to be someone else. That it would have to be Boaz. He looked upon Ruth and saw her sad situation. He was willing to lay aside that moral compulsion to one who was more willing to redeem the whole situation rather than offer a partial and non-moral and non-relational solution. Boaz strongly felt that Elimelech was a son of Israel and that his family must seek after the blessing of God. And he also felt strongly that Ruth had demonstrated what the heart of a follower of the Lord had looked like. His praise for her hesed was not merely a praise for her horizontal actions that were demonstrated in relational faithful love to Naomi, but also he saw what marked a new work in, the, in her heart. And it became evident that her actions were driven by her belief and love for the Lord and that this would be a new chapter in her life. Ruth had become the Lord's possession. And it happened over time. And so, first of all, when we look at this passage, we have three different truths that we're looking at this morning. And that is, first of all, we see that the Lord's possession or Yahweh's possession, a people of his own possession. You know, when God enters into a covenant with us, this covenant is binding, notwithstanding our unfaithfulness. God, when He sets His love upon us, He sets His love upon us like a lover does. Like a covenant keeper does. God has moved towards us in a betrothal aspect, and in a secure way, in saying that we are His. We are His possession. We are the ones who are owned by Him, and we ought to throw off and, and shed any... any um, charade or, or any facade of thinking that we are our own. For we are not our own. We are bought with a price through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the greater Boaz. So we have a Lord who calls upon His people, not only in Israel's time, but all of those who God covenants with. He sets His stamp of ownership upon. He labels them. And you and I sit in a needy, in a needy situation we are a people who need an ownership, who need a greater owner than ourselves. 
our autonomous heart, the heart that seeks after its own sovereignty, its own its own way of, of living, its own path forward, is, it leads to nothing other than destruction and death. We need someone who will rescue us. We need someone who will approach us with redeeming love and own us. And so Yahweh comes to us as a, as a God who loves to possess us. But the second truth that we find here, we find in verses 11 and 12, as Boaz looks upon Naomi and sets up this, this arrangement, we find the Lord's blessing, a praise of His own profession. Notice then as the people surround the dealings in verses 11 and 12, we are witnesses, they say. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily, worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Notice, first of all, that they acknowledge that they're witnesses. By the way, are you witnesses to the redeeming work of God? They are witnesses. They are, they are affirming. They are attesting. And by the way, every time the people of God gather, this is, this is a picture of what it looks like. When we come together, we together with one voice say, we are witnesses of the glory and splendor of our majesty and the majesty of our God. We together are with one voice singing, saying, God, we are witnesses of the great work that You have done. The transaction that seems so unlikely and that was impossible from our point of view, You have accomplished by Your merciful love, by Your hesed. We are witnesses. And what they were witnessing was exactly what God had intended to happen in, in dealings like this. Redemption by the means of Hesed. The people and the elders had gathered together from the top of the, you know, of the, of the levels of people in, in society there to, the, to just the people of the village. They gave themselves to bearing the testimony that what was being done was accomplishing covenant righteousness. That what was being done before them had exceeded the law and had moved into territories of love, of hesed, of loyalty, of commitment that was God-like, not merely legal in its transaction. And so they lift up their, their hearts in praise and in wonder. And by the way, this is how things God intends things to go. For you and I to move above obligation, to move toward above and beyond duty, to move into delight. And so the people are filled with joy as they realize what is unfolding before their eyes. And with one voice they say, we, we're witnesses. We, we have gathered here from, from, from the people in the village to the elders of the gate. We are, we are recognizing God has done something great in this family. We knew He was this kind of God because we have returned to Him and found His favor. And so now we see another level, another demonstration of His impossible, His miraculous favor notice secondly they say make the lord may the lord make the woman who is coming into your house like rachel and leah who together built up the house of israel rachel and leah demonstrating to us as women who were so unlikely for god to use and yet it would be all about god who would build his family we're reminded even of mary this morning so unlikely that god would do such a, a great thing and through mary bring to us a savior it's so unlikely that God would dwell with you and I, like Rachel and Leah, like, like Naomi and Ruth. It's so unlikely that God would temple with us, that God would come to a, a stable, and that God would come to you and I. It's so unlikely. But remember, redemption is built on the foundation of Hesed. 
And so it's entirely likely. It's entirely like our Yahweh. It's entirely like our God. This is just the outflowing of who He is, that He loves to redeem people and bring brothers to Jesus. So full is His love, He doesn't stop with legal. He moves forward in love. And they say, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. As has been demonstrated, so may the faithfulness to Yahweh continue so that the hearing of it will be to the praise of His glory. They're saying, like the shepherds said, when they came to the stables and they left and departed and went into all the village and told all the wonders that they had seen in the fields with the angels and in the stable, so too these witnesses say, may this story be told over and over and over again. And do you realize this morning that here in the hearing of this Word of God, we are some of the fulfillment of this prayer of these people. That this story, and not a story of David and not a story of Ruth, but the story of our great Savior Jesus Christ, it's being repealed this morning over and over again. Here we are in Ruth chapter 4 fulfilling the witnessing of good tidings of great joy. And when they say, may your house be like the house of Perez, here again they're, they're, they're speaking of the tribe of Judah being the tribe of Elimelech, Tamar, through the unqualified means became blessed. And so we find in this a second truth that we are witnesses and worshipers of His work of redemption. We are both witnesses and worshipers of His redemption. There are many more, many more parts of redemption. We are partakers, recipients, but we are also brought here this morning, we are compelled by our gratitude and our adoration to be witnesses and worshipers of redeeming joy. Well, the third truth to hear this morning that we find is towards the end of the chapter in verses 13 through 17, we find that the Lord's joy is a promise of His own keeping. A promise of His own keeping. It could be the keeping of His own promise or the promise of His own keeping. That is, God loves to make promises. God loves to make promises. And from, from beginning to end in the Scriptures, we find this God just continues to bind Himself to His own nature in an immutable way that is an unchanging way. He will never change His mind about one single promise that He has ever made to any one of us. And in this we find a promise of His own keeping. And it's the joy of God to do such a thing. Notice in verse number 13, we find that, that then Boaz takes action. He took Ruth and she became his wife. You see, Boaz took Ruth under his wing. She bore a son. Not a daughter, by the way, but a son. And the son was born out of redemption. This son was the embodiment of redemption. Think of all of what Obed signaled to this family. Naomi has a son. The women say, Naomi, you have a son. They mean grandson, but you have a son. Boaz has a son. Ruth has a son. Elimelech has a son. Israel has a son. And because of this, we have a son. 
So we join in the exuberant praise. We join in the excitement. We join in the mirth of these women as they gather around and say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, so too we say, Blessed, blessed be the Lord who has not left us this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in our homes and in our community and in our church certainly and in this world this too, it reflects our worshiping prayer. But notice Boaz took Ruth under his wing, but let's also recognize this. Ruth took Naomi under her wing. Ruth took Naomi under her wing. Remember, Ruth plays a, a part in this one as being a partial redemptress herself. In this situation, as she, she goes and cares for Naomi and obeys and, and dutifully follows her and then gives herself unto Boaz and, and becomes part of the redemption story, Ruth takes Naomi under her wing. And the people, the women, recognize this. But do you know what? Not only did Boaz take Ruth under his wing, and Ruth took Naomi under her wing, but in this passage, the Lord took His people under His wing. The Lord took His people under His wing. Notice in verse number 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse and his, his caregiver. And the women of the neighborhood gave, gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. Do you know what the name Obed means? It means called out. It means declared. It means set aside for a special task. But it also means fame. It means celebrity status in this in every righteous sense look at what god has done in elimelech's home in the little village of bethlehem god has demonstrated heaven bought heaven brought hesed from the unlikely nation of moab and from the barren womb of a, of a pagan woman god has redeemed and restored and and he has brought us a son and by the way, the book of Ruth was likely written during David's lifetime, not during the book of Judges. So this was a celebratory book. It was meant to say, this is how we have come to know the King that God has promised to us. His name means called out. It would be a special assignment. It means that, that this act of God was to be praised. And, and Obed, as he would, we wouldn't learn anything other about Obed the rest of his life God has is, is remained silent about Obed's life. Oh, that we could just have a peek into what his home was like. But the fact is, we know what his God was like. And the point of his whole life was to picture and to point towards, if even it was only his name, that God would be the one who should be called out. That God would, should be the one who was made famous. That God should be the one whose name was renowned throughout all of Israel and throughout all of history. That Yahweh is the Redeemer. If that's all you know about Obed, then that's more than a lifetime could ever tell and train us, train our hearts to be like. To be praised. Obed would be a reminder of redemption. And so will all of his children be reminders of redemption. You could say it this way, in effect, you and I are the sons of Obed. Sons of redemption. 
as we have entered into a covenant of faith through Jesus Christ, one which we did not deserve and we were completely unworthy to receive, but we came to Him barren and empty and said, God, unless You redeem, I am dead. And by the way, this morning when you're listening, this is the truth that, that the Christmas proclaims. This is the good tidings of great joy that the, herald, the, the angels heralded on the mountainside. That unless you give of yourself unto the redemption of God, and that is not trying to purchase back for yourself your own life, your own eternity, your own destiny, your own plans, your own um, destiny. You don't have enough to pay for all the sin that lives inside of your heart and is on the record before a holy God. And all the banks in all the world and all the mines in all the countries on every continent. And if every star were a boiling pot to refine gold and silver, you still wouldn't have enough to lay on the scale of a holy God who requires from you and I perfection to enter into His presence. And that doesn't sound very merciful. But the mercy in this is that God has told us what our problem is. The mercy in this message is that God has not veiled, He has not hidden our our condition of barrenness and emptiness. But God has been right out front and very clear that while we are poor, He is rich. And He is willing to share the riches of knowing Him for those of us who will come unto Him and say, My attempts at redemption are empty. I am bankrupt like Ruth. I am am at the mercy of a Redeemer. And that person who humbles himself before the Lord Almighty, and that person who acknowledges that Jesus Christ alone is the one who suffered and bled and died on their behalf, was punished under the wrath of a holy God to pay for all of the sins, that person who acknowledges that Jesus is a substitute and is willing to call upon God in repentant faith and say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I am completely incapable of redeeming myself. I have not enough righteousness to appease you. And I trust you. Unless you save me, I die. And God promises that when He hears a voice like that, it is His joy to receive a person into Himself like that. It is His joy. Our God is a a joyful covenant-keeping God and He never grows weary of folding others into His covenant. And His wing is still outstretched as long as the sun will rise and there's plenty of room underneath His wing. Will you come? Will you hear the call of Ruth? Will you hear the gospel of Ruth? That those who come must see that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after Him. This morning as we conclude, we have three truths that we're left to recognize. Number one, Because of the supreme cost of our redemption, that is that God Himself would be crucified on the cross, this very babe that laid in a manger, as innocent as He was in a manger, as innocent as any babe, but even more so as blameless in nature, He would ascend unto a cross, and as blameless as a manger, so blameless was He on a cross, to bear about upon Him 
the, the sins of, that should have been on us. The cost of our redemption was great. And because of that cost, we are not our own. Christian, you are not your own. And may this truth ring in our ears this next year as we enter into this new year. We are not our own. We have a Lord. He doesn't just lord over us. But we are a people of His own possession. A sheep of His pasture. And secondly, because of the work for our redemption, we have become witnesses and worshipers. That is that we have no means to work for our redemption. Notice Ruth had no means to work for her redemption. She had nothing to offer. There was really nothing. She was completely dependent upon the outskirts of a barley field of a very generous and noble man. Nothing to offer. Because of the work for our redemption, all that we become then is we become witnesses and worshipers. Then thirdly, because of the promise of our redemption, the eternal promise, we are loyally beloved. If Hesed was a verb, that would be us. He has set His Hesed upon us. His steadfast, covenant-keeping love. His loyal love. Let's pray together this morning.